Our second reading of God's Word uh, appears in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. We'll be reading verses 16 through 24 of chapter 8. Listen for God's Word to you. But thank God he has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. Titus welcomed our request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. We are also sending another brother with Titus. All the churches praise him as a preacher of the good news. He was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we take the offering to Jerusalem, a service that glorifies the Lord and shows our eagerness to help. We are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we're handling this generous gift. We're careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. We're also sending with them another of our brothers who has proven himself many times and has shown on many occasions how eager he is. He is even now more enthusiastic because of his great confidence in you. If anyone asks about Titus, say that he is my partner who works with me to help you. And the brothers with him have been sent by the churches, and they bring honor to Christ. So show them your love and prove to all the churches that our boasting about you is justified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I brought our holy books. So... All right. Settle in. Uh, <laughs> um, we are we are in the middle of a of a stewardship series um, of messages for Lent, um, and Lent and and stewardship go along very naturally because they're both kind of painful topics. But um, hopefully, it won't be too bad today. Um, we're going to talk about um, uh, some things, but but. Uh, but the the idea we're going to, to we're going to talk about today is the is the um, uh, proper role of, of financial controls in the church. Yes, yes, the green eye shade talk. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I think there's an application for us as well, even if we aren't involved in the accounting of the church. So, um, but uh, today we're going to wrap up chapter eight, and then we're going to read chapter uh, nine, and uh, then we'll be done. So hold your applause until the end. But. Um, <laughs> But uh, the reason we're looking at this passage of Scripture is because it's the longest block of Scripture um, in the New Testament that deals with the subject of, of money in the church. There's lots of places where Jesus talks about being generous or, or giving, but he never lays it out in terms of, okay, then do this and then do that. Paul's much more kind of the, the nuts and bolts, how you actually implement that. Um, there are places in the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, that, that tell us about giving, but that's, that often requires some, some delicacy to kind of walk through because a lot of it assumes that you are operating under the, t- under the tithe or under the law. It says that it's not a voluntary contribution. Now there are a few places, like the one we heard earlier, where there are, uh, where, where the people are explicitly asked to give voluntarily. So that relates to us today. But the pl- passages that talk about being under the law, requ- being required to give to the, to the work of God, um, don't apply to us because Jesus fulfilled the law. And so we are under grace. We can give to the church, um, or not as we see fit, as we, as we believe God is calling us to do. So, um, so, that's why we're looking mostly at the New Testament, and if we're going to look at the New Testament, we're going to concentrate on this section right here, sections, uh, chapters 8 and 9 of Second Corinthians. So that's where we've been. 
And like I said, there is a, there is an obvious message, uh, to, to, uh, this passage. It is the idea of financial controls. And, uh, no one is interested in hearing a message about financial controls, but it is kind of the elephant in the room in the passage we're looking at today. Um, and they are important. Uh, when I was in my last church, uh, uh, there was a church uh, in the neighboring town that, that didn't have the financial controls it ought to have had, and it had a, a, a treasurer who had a gambling addiction, and she went down to the, the low desert, to Palm Springs, and went to the casinos and blew through a whole lot of people's FICA um, payments. And so, you know, she figured that they would miss their paycheck, but the IRS would never miss those FICA filings. Well, it did, and she was caught, and I don't know what happened in terms of any finan- any criminal liability she faced, but um, I know the church was hit by the IRS with a repayment plan that included sixty thousand dollars worth of back taxes and um, and penalty and interest, and so they had to pay that back over the next couple of years. Which really, you know, I mean, they, their their budget was approximately the same as ours, with similar sized church, so. Uh, you know, our budget is about $190,000. So uh, if you picture trying to pay back $60,000 on top of that, it would be a big hit. And so financial controls are important. But the good news is, the good news is it's not just, um, it's not just um, the, uh, the small churches, you know, the, the amateur hour churches uh, that don't know any better. Um, um, earlier this week, um, uh, this this appeared in Christianity Today, uh, and if you can't read it, it says uh, ECFA suspends Harvest Bible Chapel's uh, accreditation. Uh, one of the things I've been doing for the last couple of years, uh, I should say we've been doing, is we've been praying for large churches. Because if a little church in the desert somewhere gets in trouble because of financial mismanagement, no one hears about it. But when a big church like this gets in trouble with its finances, everybody hears about it, including people who aren't Christians. And it's just a, a, it's an extra burden to be a very prominent church. And so it's appropriate for us to be praying for them. Now, I don't know, really, I haven't followed it too closely. I saw last, last uh, month in February, they fired their pastor, James McDonald. And I don't know exactly what was behind all that. But then a month later, they're still making news because this body that, that uh, certifies their finances says we, we're not going to certify their finances. They have, I, I looked into it, they've got seven principles that you have to apply to be accredited, and they were out of compliance with four. So at least three of them they were still in appliance with, uh, compliance with. So, um, uh, in our case, we don't have the same, we don't have the same set of rules. We actually have, uh, a whole different set of rules. Um, we've got several pages in each of these books that tell us what to do. We have two denominations, so both the Presbyterians and the, uh, Methodists tell us what we need to do. And a couple of years ago, Jill put together kind of a, she, she tried to edit them all together into a single set of, of requirements. That, that incorporated um, all of the all of the musts and then a, a mix of the the maze and the would be good ideas if sort of things so we have a coherent set of financial policies and we also have a um, a committee that meets on, on a month or nearly monthly basis to evaluate our progress and so forth so we do we do a lot of the procedures we're supposed to do just to and I know this is boring I know you know I should be wearing a green eye shade but but um, but just to give you some some sense that we are serious about this, we have different people who are in charge of bringing in the money and spending the money. And so their books have to balance at the end so we can find out if anything goes wrong, we find out 
that that it doesn't go until the IRS catches us uh, a quarter later. So so we have that sort of control. We have the the finance team that looks at things on a regular basis. The council looks at um, uh, financial status uh, of the church on a monthly basis. And then their public documents, the church, the, the congregation looks at them on a regular basis in the annual meeting. You get to see what the budget is, and you get to see how we performed in the previous year. That's something that's published every year as part of our, our, our annual report. Um, we've, got other, we've got other controls, and I won't go into them all, but among other things, uh, the pastor doesn't pick his own salary. The pastor's salary isn't even picked by the um, by the the church council. It's picked by you, and there's an independent board, the the staff parish relations committee, that decides what the pastor should be paid or what they recommend, and then the congregation gets to vote on it. So we have a lot of procedural safeguards to keep us from getting into trouble, and the reason is because because churches sometimes don't, and so that's why Paul says. Paul explains that he says we're traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we're handling this generous gift. He says we're careful. We do things intentionally. We go, we take pains. We go to extra effort to be honorable before the Lord, right? We don't want to do wrong, right? But more than that, there's a higher level than that. He says we also want everybody else to see that we're honorable. In the case of that Harvest Chapel, there was no, there was no, nothing in the story that says that there was wrongdoing. They weren't, they weren't doing something bad with the money. They were just sloppy with it. And that's why they got their accreditation yanked. And as they dig into it, they may find yet that there was wrongdoing. But right now, it's just a simple case that they were, they were, um, they were not doing well with it. I forgot to mention, he's staring at me in the face. Um, he's actually not. He wasn't, he wasn't like giving me this. He's not, he's not giving me this stink eye. We have an independent review of our finances every year. Um, uh, Pete does that. He actually looks through the paperwork and does it independently. So, so we have all the, all the different, um, uh, controls we can think of and all the ones that are mandated by our two denominations. So we have a lot of these controls. And the reason is because, as Paul said, we want everybody else uh, to see that we're honorable. We don't want people to think that churches, you know, all they want is your money and then the pastor gets a Gulf Stream or something like that. So <laughs> if you want to buy the pastor a Gulf Stream, you actually have to talk to the SPRC about it. So, um, so I'd be happy to take one. So, um, so, so that's kind of the, that's the, that's the surface, uh, or that's the obvious, that's the elephant in the room of this passage. Paul's talking about these financial controls. He says it's important to have them for a lot of reasons. It's more important than not, just not doing wrong, but to be seen to not do wrong. So he says that's important, but there's a, there's a bigger, there's a bigger topic in here, which is that, that Christians sometimes miss the target. Even if you don't do wrong, Right? You may not achieve what you wanted to achieve. You may miss your target. Uh, we see, we see this, um, all, all the time as we read through Paul's letters because Paul had critics and he was often defending himself from critics. He says, he says in one place, um, at the beginning of this letter, I'm sorry, this is in 1 Corinthians, he says, some of you are saying I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying I follow, uh, Apollos or I follow Peter or I follow only Christ. So there's people who say, you know, mm, not such a big fan of Paul. At the beginning of this letter, he's he's answering a question that he anticipates them asking. He says, you may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? He said, I wasn't able to go visit you on the schedule we had talked about. And do you think it's simply because I make my plans uh, without thinking? Um, uh, and um, uh, in the... Um, 
in the the book of Acts, uh, as we saw last uh, summer, we saw that Paul was regularly not able to do what what he had hoped to do in terms of travel and other things. So Paul was was often finding he couldn't do the thing he wanted to do. He was unable to achieve the thing he set out to do. So um, he talks. Uh, Luke tells us in the book of Acts, he says, next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit, right, not just any regular everyday sort of problem but the holy spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of asia at that time so they headed north to the province of bithynia and they and again the spirit of jesus did not allow them to go there either so just to kind of orient you so that's the that's the uh, area we're talking about uh, asia minor modern day turkey and so paul started out uh, paul and silas started out in, in galatia and they went to galatia and phrygia but when they got to asia uh, the, the west coast of Asia Minor, it was called Asia in those days. Um, uh, when they got there, they couldn't go into Asia proper. So they decided, okay, let's go north to Bithynia. When they got to Bithynia, they couldn't go there either. They said, all right, let's just head east into Macedonia and Greece. And that's where the, the Christian movement first set foot in Europe, to, to the best of our knowledge. So Paul was constrained by circumstances he had no control over to not do the thing he wanted to do. And then he said, this is... This is the pattern. Later on in this same letter, he will tell people, I've worked harder and been put in prison more often. You know, that, that puts a crimp in your schedule, right, when you're put in prison. He says, um, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have faced danger from rivers and from ro- robbers. So Paul talks about how he isn't always able to do the things that he wants to do. Um, he talks about, uh, and throughout the letters, you'll see that there's a lot of criticism of Paul, that he is answering their objections. And sometimes it's because of circumstances outside of his events. Sometimes it's because that's who Paul is, and he can't do the thing that they ask him to do. So, so, um, so that's good news to me, because, because I'm not as holy as Paul, and so it's good to know that Paul had problems too. So uh, then I can say, well, okay, at least I've got company. So there's nothing that nothing prevents you having a relationship from Jesus just because you're not the greatest thing in the world. Since you still have problems, since you fail to honor your commitments, since you fail to hit the target you're aiming at, that we we sometimes I mean there's obviously there's there's uh, treasurers who just abscond with the money and gamble it away, right? So there's that kind of error, but there's also just the you know, I was tired, I made a mistake, I meant to, you know, I thought that this would work and it didn't, I should have given it more thought, but it didn't happen, I'm sorry, but, but there it is, I missed my, I missed my target. There's, there's things where some circumstance came from out of the blue, you know, I got shipwrecked, maybe not in a actual boat shipwrecked, but I got shipwrecked in the sense of something happened and my plans were all, all in disarray. So Christians still have problems. The fact that you are a Christian will not make your life perfect and it will not make you perfect or it won't make it perfect in time for the people around you. So that's just the reality. That's the way it's going to be as a Christian. But what we read in this passage, once we get past the green eye shade part, is we read that Paul had helpers, that Paul was not alone. He wasn't simply trying to do ministry all by himself. He's the one who got his name up in lights, but he had Titus. And what does he say about Titus? He says, he says um, that uh, he says um, back in chapter seven. This is this is the, the the background of this letter. He's saying when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. 
But God, who encourages us, who encourages those who are encouraged, discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. He says that when we were facing these critics, when we were dealing with our own internal criticism, Paul, you really screwed up. You had a chance to bring Christianity to a whole continent. And now the people in Macedonia and Achaia, that's the region where, where uh, Corinth is located, the people in Greece are going to reject Christianity because you screwed up, Paul. He's saying, I had critics on the outside and on the inside. I was, I was under criticism. I was under attack. But God, who encourages us, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Titus showed up and said, no, the gospel is strong. The gospel is stronger than you, Paul, FYI. And the church is still alive in those places. He says, boy, that was an encouragement. Titus showed up and gave me exactly the encouragement I needed. So he says in our passage, he says, if anyone asks about Titus, you know, if anyone down there in Corinth says, who is this Titus guy? What's he to us? He, he said, say that he is my partner who works with me to help you. He says that Titus is an important part of my ministry. And he talks about these other two brothers. There's these two brothers, he says, were part of the the party there that, that would um, be coming with him. He says, the first brother, um, all the churches praise him as a preacher of the good news. So he's famous. All the churches know his name. We don't know his name, but all the churches did. Everybody knew this guy. He was the, he was a rock star of that age. And, um, that's probably good news for Paul as well because we don't appreciate this, you know, in our era. We think Paul must have been pretty impressive, but he was actually not a good preacher. We know he was just something he was very sensitive to. In the first letter to the Corinthians, he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news and not with clever speech. Okay, um, he says, when I first came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom. He says, my message and my preaching were very plain, rather than using clever and persuasive spe- speeches. Somewhere else, he says, uh, later in this chapter, he says, uh, later in this uh, letter, he says, I may be unskilled as a speaker. In other words, we all know I'm unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. And then he quotes some critics. He says, some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful. But in person, he's weak, and his speeches are worthless. So, as a preacher, I know I'm in good company. Me and Paul, we're just like that. So imagine what a, what a relief that would be. You know, Paul, you're, you're very sensitive on this topic. Maybe you could learn some, some rhetorical skills from this guy. Maybe you could just have somebody pick up the load, right? It's just one less sermon for you to prepare, Paul. So that would be great all in of itself. Um, you're not good at speaking to Gentile audiences, maybe. He didn't know about, you know, the, the rhetorical tricks of the, the Gentiles or whatever. He was more accustomed to speaking to a Jewish audience. Whatever it was, we don't know what made this other person's preaching so much better. But Paul says, this guy is going to fill a very big hole in my ministry. I am so grateful that he's going to be part of this trip. So what about the other brother? The other brother is not only anonymous, but but he doesn't list any particular skills or anything. But what he does is he says, he says, um, another of our brothers has proven himself many times and has shown how many on many occasions how eager he is. He says, he's even more enthusiastic because of his great confidence in you. He says, he's, he's one of those upbeat people. And you're sitting there going, you know, I've, I've screwed up, you know, I got, you know, I got the last boat out of this place and it's leaky and I have a bad feeling, you know, this could be shipwreck number four. And he's saying, no, no, it'll work out, right? He's saying, he's saying, 
Uh, it's so great to have somebody like that. If you read the book of Acts, we see about half of Paul's ministry was in the company of a guy named Barnabas, or actually his name was Joseph, but he got the nickname Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, because he went around encouraging people. He was one of those, one of those people you love to have around you. And Paul is saying, and you got me one of them too. So the church, the church uh, in Macedonia found one of those people and he's going to travel with me on this journey. So Paul is saying, you know, I have not done what I wanted to do. Sometimes it was outside my control. Sometimes there was a shipwreck. And sometimes it was because I'm not a great preacher. And sometimes it's because of 17 other things. It was because I I got stoned the previous day and I was still aching and I was a little short-tempered with the major donor, right? Whatever it was, Paul says, I wasn't able to achieve the things that I wanted to do, but I have help. I've got Titus. I've got the the famous preacher, and I've got the enthusiastic brother. I've got people who can help me with my ministry. So what's the lesson for us? The lesson for us is we all need Titus. We all need our own personal Titus. We all need our enthusiastic brother. We all need the famous preacher. We all need people who can fill in the gaps in what we don't do well, who can make us more effective in whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. And we can find them in the church. You know, it's very popular today to dump on the church to say, I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians, or I don't like the church. Uh, There's this kind of idea that, you know, I went to a church, but it was all political, and, you know, they, they were very dogmatic, and they had all their, their, their theories about Jesus and stuff like that, and to say, you know, I just didn't have any use for that. So now, you know, I go hiking in the mountains, and, um, I go outdoors and I really have a, a sense of connection with Jesus and that's great. And that is great as long as you don't ever try to accomplish anything. But if you ever want to do something, especially if you want to do something for other people, then you're going to need people like Titus. You're going to need people like the famous preacher. You're going to need people like that enthusiastic brother. You're going to need people around you who can fill in the gaps in your ministry. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We all need a Titus. And yes, churches are filled with politics. That's because they're filled with sinners. We're all sinners. We are all people in need of God's grace. But the church was Jesus' idea. He said we would need people who could stir up the enthusiasm when we didn't, we didn't have it in us. People who could fill in the gaps in our ministries. People who could make us remember why we were doing what we did. And the church is a great place to find them. So I encourage you, find your Titus. And if you don't need a Titus, if everything's going pretty good for you, maybe you are somebody else's Titus. So find your Paul, somebody whose ministry you can support, and figure out, what can I do to be their Titus? What can I do to be their famous preacher? What can I do to be their enthusiastic brother? And maybe your Paul doesn't even go to the church. Maybe your Paul is still out there. One of the reasons people sometimes enjoy seeing those big churches fall from grace is because they've been burnt. They won't go to a church. But as the church, we can come to them. So find your Titus or be Titus for somebody in the church or somebody who isn't in the church yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that that we don't have to we don't have to go through life and ministry all by ourselves. That that you call us to be about the work of Jesus, to be um, 
about the business of making disciples, but we don't have to do it individually. We don't have to summon up enthusiasm when we don't feel it. We don't have to be faultless. We don't have to never make a mistake because we have people around us who can help us, who can hold us accountable, and who can give us encouragement. Help us, Lord, to seek out those people. And if we have people like that in our life, help us to seek out people that we can be helpers to. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.